Well, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your blessing here today. And we pray in Jesus' name that you will open your word to us. And Lord, above all else, show each person here what they have been gifted and anointed to do. From the moment they were saved, the Holy Spirit gave them a gift. Help us to find it, discover it, and most of all, step out into it. And we thank you, Lord, for leading us in this and opening our eyes and opening our understanding and a spirit of revelation being here tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, breathe a prayer, church, would you, and just say, Lord, I open my heart to your revelation, to me. Show me what you have called me to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he heard that prayer. He heard that prayer. All right. Now, if you don't have a manual, we have some printed this time. So if you don't have a manual and you need one, one of these... Raise your hand, and we're going to get it to you. And we're trusting that you've not had one before now. If you have had one before now and it's sitting at home, may the Lord convict you right where you sit. (laughs) Amen? Now, uh, keep your hand up, and if you need a pen, raise your hand. Because you're really going to be lost without a pen. Because we're filling in blanks in this series, this growth track series. Okay? We're going to talk tonight about unwrapping your gift. How many of you love unwrapping gifts? Seriously. How many of you were like me and at Christmas time, you you cheated before Christmas. And you unwrapped it enough to look in there and see what it was and then you wrapped it back up. How many of you did that? Tell the truth. I did. I did. All right. I love unwrapping gifts. I love giving gifts. love unwrapping them. Now, we're going to talk about unwrapping our spiritual gift tonight. We're on page 69. And at the end of this, we're going to hand you one of these. Okay? We're going to hand you one of these. I tell you what, ushers, I know I'm going back on what I said. Let's just start now so that we don't have to take time at the end. Just start now handing them out. And what this is, this is going to shock you. It shocked me. And I'm the pastor here of all the things that you can get involved in in this church where you're using your gift, all the areas you can plug into, all right? There's a bunch. And so at the end, I'm going to real quickly point these out. I'm not going to name everything, but I'm going to point out the main headers. And then inside of it is a card that says, serve. And it it has a place for your name, your email, and the ministry that you think you might be interested in. Now, remember, uh, the purpose of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, is to equip the saints to sit there and do nothing. Is that what it says? No, no, no. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints to be pew warmers. Is that what it says? Purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints to yell amen and tell the preacher he's doing a good job. Now, I, I don't mind that, but is that the purpose of the fivefold ministry? No. What is it? To equip the saints to, everybody say, do. That's a verb. That means the saints are to eventually do the work of the ministry. So, and we're going to recap 
our whole philosophy about this at the end of this series tonight, but I want all of you to understand, all of you, the minute you got saved, the Holy Ghost, per his discretion, gifted you, gifted you to do something in the house of God to contribute to the body of Christ so that we all grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. All right? So everybody say with me, I'm called. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. Now you may not feel like it. Doesn't matter what you feel. It's a fact. Jack. All right, now let's move on. All right, top of page 69. The Bible does not lock us into tight restrictions as to the number of spiritual gifts or even their definitions. The four major lists of gifts are found in Romans 12.3, and you can read those. Um, but there are other passages that mention or illustrate gifts not included in these lists. All gifts are given to help the church fulfill its purposes. So we've categorized this list of gifts according to Turning Point Church's purpose. Now, what is our vision statement? I'm going to start the first word. I really hope most of you can do the rest of them. Inreach, outreach, upreach. We, we are here, the, the purpose of our church is to build Christ in you, that's inreach, to reach everybody with Christ, that's outreach, and to lead everybody into the presence of Christ by worship, that's upreach. We don't do any ministry that does not fall in one of those categories. Inreach, a lot of inreach is bringing all of God's people to the place where they understand, I'm not just called to go to heaven. He didn't just save me to go to heaven. If the only reason I was saved was to take me to heaven, and there's nothing else for me, no other reason for me, than the minute I'm saved, he's going to take me to heaven. But he left us here for a reason. We've been left behind. For a reason. And the reason is he's gifted you to contribute something to the body of Christ to help in the growth of Christ into the fullness of the stature of the growth of the body into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Okay? Very clear. So, let's look first. At, at, now, as we read through this list, here's where your pen comes in. Check off your initial impression concerning yourself. Remember, you can have many gifts. So first, let's talk about gifts that communicate God's word to both unbelievers and to believers. So here's the gifts that are verbal. First, preaching. And did you know that preaching is prophesying? So I'm prophesying right now. I prophesy every Sunday. Preaching is prophesying. Prophecy can be two ways. It can be foretelling or forthtelling. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they not only foretold the future, but they foretold God's will to their generation. So preaching or prophecy is both forth-telling and foretelling. Now, the, the, here's preaching. The ability to publicly communicate God's word in an inspired way that convinces unbelievers and both challenges and, conf and comforts believers. The ability to persuasively declare God's will. Now, notice the boxes. I'm pretty sure I have that gift. If so, mark it. I may have this gift. 
50-50? Or I don't have that one at all and I know it. Evangelism, the ability to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to unbelievers in a positive, non-threatening way. It is the ability to sense opportunities to share Christ and lead people to respond with faith. Pretty sure, maybe 50-50, don't have it at all. I will footnote this one, though, with this truth. Everybody's called a witness. You may not be called to be a full-time, full-blown, full-throated evangelist, but you're all called a witness because you've all seen something. And a witness is somebody who's seen something. Okay? You've seen that Jesus is real. Now, missions. The third uh, verbal gift. The ability to adapt to a different culture in order to reach unbelievers and help believers from that culture. Mark which box is you. Apostle. The ability to start new churches and oversee their development. Okay? That's the verbal gifts. Now, second, the gifts that educate God's people. And, of course, the first one is teacher. And that's the ability to educate God's people by clearly explaining and applying the, not die, but the Bible. The Bible, if we're up north. The Bible. <laughs> applying the Bible in a way that causes them to learn. The ability to equip and train, and train other believers for ministry. Check the box. We're, we're, right now, we're on a hunt. We want you to find out where it is you most lean regarding spiritual gifting. How about encouragement? I love going on, going, uh, messing around, hanging around with good encouragers. I'd rather go on vacation with an encourager than a prophet. Prophets are too grim. I want an encourager, right? Prophet, everything's going to hell in a handcart. You better repent, dude. I don't want to go on a vacation with a prophet. I want to go on a vacation with an encourager. Go ahead and, and try skiing. You can do it. All right. Here's encouragement, the ability to motivate God's people to apply and act on biblical principles, especially when they are discouraged or wavering in their faith. How many of you love encouragers? Tell the truth. Amen. The ability to bring out the best in others and challenge them to develop their potential. If that's you, mark it. Do, mark a box in every one of these. Wisdom. The ability to understand God's perspective on life situations and share those insights in a simple, understandable way. That's wisdom, folks. God's perspective on a situation. Amen. That's what wisdom is. You got a big problem, you go to somebody with wisdom, they give you God's perspective on what you're going through and how to get through it to the other side. A wise man or woman sees an issue through God's eyes. It's the ability to explain what to do and how to do it. Now let's talk about discernment. The ability to distinguish right from wrong. And I think the church is failing right there in big ways. If you were to ask me, what's the biggest problem facing the Western church right now? I would tell you, I think there's a huge discernment deficit. I, I don't think we're discerning Amen. right from wrong, truth from error. It's to give an immediate evaluation based on what, everyone? 
God's Word. The more you know God's Word, the better you will be at discernment. So, doesn't it go without saying then that the church is getting an F in discernment these days because they don't know God's Word? Come on. You say, well, why are you saying an F, Pastor Jeff? Because so many things pass for God or pass for the Holy Spirit or pass for sound teaching when they are not. They aren't. I mean, somebody who looks good just goes on TV and says whatever they want and because they're on TV and it's a Christian station, you believe them. We need to get into the Word and say, is what they just said true? Okay. It's the ability to discern whether the source of an experience is Satan, self, or God's spirit. Wow, that is so important. So important. Do you think you've got that gift? 50-50? Or just admit it, you don't have it at all. Okay? Knowledge. The ability to discover, collect, analyze, and organize information that is vital to individual believers of the entire church family. It's the ability to comprehend a large amount of information and provide it when needed for effective decision making. That's a good one. The gift of knowledge. Um, Now, some people will, will tell you that the word of knowledge is what this is talking about, but this is different. The word of knowledge being you walk up to somebody and you tell them something about them that you would not normally know. We say that's a word of knowledge. Actually, this is talking about having scriptural knowledge to be able to apply it to situations. It's not a, the other kind. Now, so that's the gifts that educate God's people. We need those gifts. Now, the third gifts are those that demonstrate God's love. And some of you sail in this one. And I'm so glad. We've got a church full of these people. Service. Service is the ability to recognize unmet needs in the church family. And take the initiative to provide practical assistance quickly, cheerfully, and without a need for recognition. The person that gave that $12,000 said, please keep me anonymous. Amen. You know, some people... When the offering bucket comes, they pull out their check and they pop it. (laughs) Or they pull out that $100 bill and pop it so that everybody around you sees what you're giving. You just got your reward, whoever saw it, and said, ooh, aren't they givers? But Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand, or don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Isn't it interesting? Jesus assumed most of us were right-handed. But anyway, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your father who sees in secret will openly reward you. Okay? So... The person who is a gifted to serve is this way. Mercy, the ability to detect hurt and empathize with those who are suffering in the church family. The ability to provide compassionate and cheerful support to those experiencing distress, crisis, or pain. How many of you can say, Jeff, I am particularly sensitive when somebody is really hurting. I can feel it. Even if they're, they've got on a frozen smile, I can feel it. Okay? I'm that way. I can walk up to somebody or or see somebody from a distance and I can feel. I've always been this way. I can feel if they're hurting. I can feel it. So sometimes when I'm given the invitation, I will say something directly to a particular need because I've seen somebody during the message and I've I've gotten a, a reading 
on them. They're hurting. And, And so when you feel that, your heart goes out to them. You hurt with them. You feel, literally, their pain. That's the gift of mercy. And it can be a painful gift because you're always hurting for other people. But it's just another aspect of our Lord Jesus Christ who could walk up to anybody and read their mail and know exactly what they're experiencing. Hospitality. I know some people love this. The ability to make others, especially strangers, feel warmly welcomed, accepted, and comfortable in the church family. The ability to coordinate factors that promote fellowship. These people love to have people over. They, they are the ones who, who say, all right, good to see you in church. And they come running up to you smiling and they're so happy. And they lead you to a chair and they pat you on the back and they hug you. That's hospitality. Some people don't even look your way. Or, or they give you a look, oh, they're here again. But the person with the gift of hospitality has great big open arms, and they scoop people up. Now, pastoring, the ability to care for the spiritual needs of a group of believers and equip them for ministry. The ability to nurture a small group in spiritual growth and assume responsibility for their welfare. That's been me since I was 18, this one. Since I was 18, God led me into teaching the same group of people over a long period of time well, actually, when I was barely 19, I started. Amen. But I was still a teenager, and, I, and I've been doing it all this time. That, this one's just me. So I can check the top box and take pretty out. I'm sure I have this gift. Giving. The ability to generously contribute material resources and money beyond the 10% tithe so the body may grow and be strengthened. The ability to earn and manage money so it may be given to support the ministry of others. Again, I don't mean to wear this out, but the person who gave that check for radio or said they're going to support it, that's a gift of giving. We have have another person who several times a year sends $11,000 each time for our radio ministry. And they don't even go here. That's a gift of giving. You know, they, they do very well in life, but they don't keep it to themselves. What some people don't realize is if God really blesses you, it may be he intends you to flow in this gift and do for others what uh, they can't do for themselves and what most people can't do to help them. Okay? I was talking to somebody uh, uh, last night, having dinner with someone last night. Well, I'll go ahead and tell it. It was my mother. Is my mother, and she and she told me about um, this person she knows, two people she knows. One of them is struggling incredibly financially, in real struggle, and their hot water heater imploded, and the water came through the top and down through the ceiling and, and ruined a bunch of stuff, and it was awful. And, and I mean, they had the money to replace this wa- hot water heater like they have money to go to Mars, right? So this other person learned of it and stepped up and just wrote a check and sent them a check and just paid in cash for the hot water heater and, and then paid in cash to have everything it did fixed. 
My mother said, isn't that sweet? Well, yes, it was sweet, but here's what it was. The gift of giving. Amen. I just heard some of you say, can you give me that woman's name? (laughs) Now, let's look at fourth. Here we go. Gifts that celebrate God's presence. So there are gifts that are geared to helping God's people celebrate God's presence. First, music. The ability to celebrate God's presence through music, vocal or instrumental, and lead the church family in worship. Amen? That's a gift. Okay? And you may be sitting out there going, well, I think I have that. Well, put it in the box. Now, arts and crafts. Here's where I have a zero. I don't have any of this. I need this because I don't have this. You tell me to interior decorate my house, it's going to look like the Adams family. I don't know how to do it. All right? But there are people that can walk into a house and just take one look. Okay, well, let's just read it. The ability to build, maintain, or beautify the place of worship for God's glory, or any place for that matter. The ability to express worship through a variety of art forms. Okay, is that you? Now let's look at four prayer-related gifts, because when you look at the top, gifts that celebrate God's presence, notice it says worship or prayer-related gifts. So let's look at four prayer-related spiritual gifts. Intercession. Intercession is the ability to pray for the needs of others in the church family over extended periods of time, over extended periods of time, on a regular basis. The true intercessor, and I believe this is a spiritual gift, the true intercessor has the ability to persist in prayer And not be discouraged until the answer comes. I know people that shut themselves in and they will pray all day. Or much of the day. Days in a row. I don't have that gift. If I'm locked up somewhere and I'm praying that long, I'm going to come out of there with 20 messages. (laughs) Because I'm a preacher teacher. But there's people that go in there and grab hold of the horns of the altar and they will intercede and they grab hold of God and they intercede for people and for nations and for churches and for cities. And we need them because that's their gift. And so if, if even me talking about that tugs on something in your heart, pay attention. How about healing? The ability to pray in faith. This is a prayer related gift. The ability to pray in faith specifically for people who need physical, emotional, or spiritual healing and see God answer. It's the ability to sense when God is prompting you to pray this kind of prayer. Your heart goes out. We have a healing room, and the healing room meets uh, regularly, cyclically, uh, at at given times. And uh, we want people with this gift up there in the healing room praying for people because it's a spiritual gift. Miracles, the ability to pray in faith specifically for God's supernatural intervention into an impossible situation and see God answer. The ability to sense when God is prompting you to pray this kind of prayer. Amen. Now, I've seen this gift in operation, and I'll be honest with you, this is operating in my own life some. 
where I walked into a situation that was impossible and prayed and God did a miracle. And how do you know something is a miracle? Because it ain't happening apart from God. If, if, if something happens that is totally impossible apart from a supernatural intervention, then it's not a genuine miracle. But a miracle is when God breaks through his normal laws and, and sort of um, puts his normal laws on hold and does something that would never happen naturally. Amen. That's a miracle. Uh, here's the last prayer-related gift. Praying with my spirit, tongues, interpretation. Now you need to know, if you're a visitor, that I, I totally believe in the gifts of the spirit. And I believe that tongues never passed away. And, and I could do a whole night on tongues. Uh, you'll notice it's not a front burner message of mine. Because I don't believe in the Bible it was supposed to be a front burner message for the church. Amen. But when I was 18, I got the gift of tongues. And um, it is praying... Here it is, the ability to pray in a language understood only by God or one who is given the gift of interpretation at that time. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul talks about praying in a, in a tongue that, that man cannot understand, only God can understand it. Okay? I prayed in, in my prayer language all the way here tonight. I'll be honest with you. It's how I get through rush hour. There's probably people next to me think I'm losing my mind. He's babbling. But, but no, I pray, in, I pray in the Spirit all the time. Now, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and some of you hyper-Pentecostals are going to agree with me, and you might get up and walk out. Don't walk out. But the Bible says, do all pray with tongues? The answer is no. I mean, come on. It says, it's a rhetorical question. Do all pray with tongues? No. Now, are, do, are those who... Do, do those who don't have that gift, are they not as spiritual as the ones who do? Yes, they are. Of course they're as spiritual. Listen, I've been around a long time. I've known people that had a prayer language who were as, who were as nutty as... Uh, they, were, they were loopy. And, they prayed in tongues. and I've known people that never prayed in tongues, but they were very mature. You can't tell me Billy Graham wasn't filled with the Spirit. He never spoke in tongues. Amen. I mean, I could go through the list. You, can t- you can't tell me Luther uh, was not filled with the Spirit. There's no record of him ever speaking in tongues. So all I'm saying is, if the Holy Spirit gives it to you, you've got it. Now, can you get it? You can pray for it. The Bible says you can pray for it. And so I'm not telling you not to pray for it. The Bible says to desire spiritual gifts. Come on, that's in Corinthians, but, but do all do it? No, they don't. It's not a deal breaker. It is a non-essential regarding fellowship. I'll go to lunch with a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, I don't care, as long as we can agree on the essentials, and that is the blood, the cross, the one wayness of Jesus, he's the only way. If we can agree with the, on the, the essentials, I'm totally good with your walk with God. Whether or not you speak in tongues or pray for the sick or anything. Didn't mean to go into all that, but I kind of needed to go into all that. Okay? So if you don't speak in tongues, we here don't look down on you like, well, you need to get tongues or or you're not spiritual. We don't do that. 
Now, fifth, gifts that support all four purposes. First, leadership. The ability to clarify and communicate the purpose and direction, vision of a ministry in a way that attracts others to get involved. If you're going to birth a church, you've got to be able to do that right there. I was talking to a pastor this week who is birthing a church. And we were talking about how some people try and and it just doesn't happen. It doesn't get off the ground. Listen, if you're going to ever birth a ministry or a church, you have to have the gift of leadership because you've got to impart vision. Okay? That's leadership. The ability to motivate others by example to work together in accomplishing a ministry goal. Is that you? Check the box. How about administration? Organization. The ability to recognize the gifts of others and recruit them to a ministry. That's what we're doing tonight. The ability to organize and manage people, resources, and time for effective ministry. The ability to coordinate many details and execute the plans of leadership. That's Valerie's gift right over here. That's why I tell you, I can't do this without Valerie and others who have joined hands with me in this work. This administrate, this is Valerie. If you want to know what this gift is, it's sitting right over there. It's Valerie. She can do that. Now ask Valerie if I can do that. Be quiet, Valerie. And it'll let you know why I have Valerie, because I can't do it. And I don't want to do it, because I'm a vision caster. This is not me. I need somebody doing this for me so I can do what I do. Right? That's the way we work together. Now, one other thing about organization. One time, we had somebody leave this church, and they said this on their way out. It's just too structured in there. They literally said that. It's just too structured. Can I tell you who was really structured? Jesus was. See, we think if something is organized, it's not flowing in the spirit. Come on. We think if something is organized, then it's fleshly or it's man-made and it's not flowing in the spirit. Because if it's flowing in the spirit, it's not going to be organized. It's just going to be a flow. But that's not true. Jesus looked out at a crowd of 5,000 people hungry. They followed him for three days. They had no bread. Jesus said, give me what you have. They gave me five loaves and two fishes. What did he tell the disciples to do? Put them into groups of 50 to a hundred. And he organized this massive crowd so that a miracle could happen. So here's 50 to a hundred. I mean, you do the math. Tons of Cell groups, small groups. And then the miracle broke forth and all of them were fed. But notice Jesus mixed miracle with organization, organization with miracle. Sometimes you've got to be somewhat structured or organized or God's not going to be able to move because you're too frazzled. These people who all they do is flow with the Spirit. I'm just going to flow with the Spirit. Do whatever God tells me. I'm just going to flow. And, and if you get around too long, they make you nervous. Because there's no organization in their life. There's no structure. God uses both. God is a very structured God. But he's also a God of miracles. That wasn't in my notes either. That's free. That's a bonus tonight. Now, so administration. 
Now the last one, faith. The ability to trust God for what cannot be seen and to act on God's promise regardless of what the circumstances indicate. That's the gift of faith. The willingness to risk failure in pursuit of a God-given vision, expecting God to handle the obstacles. I've moved in this many times. I've risked failure, big failure. I never failed. God never let it fail. But I risked it. Just starting a church, you put everything on the line. We got this building in faith. When we moved here, we had 300 people. That was it for this huge building that was a giant money pit. So much needed to be done. We risked huge failure coming here. But God breathed on it. Sometimes you've got to get out there and walk on the water. Now let's monitor your heartbeat. And I'm talking about your spiritual heartbeat. But first let's talk about the real heart. We know the heart is the organ that pumps your blood. But another definition of heart is your emotional constitution or disposition. Another definition is the vital force or driving impulse. He really has heart for that. The Bible uses the term heart to represent the center of your motivation, your desires, and your inclinations. Look what David wrote, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of what? Your heart. Now, here's what your heart determines, page 74. My heart determines why I say the things I do. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My heart determines why I feel the way that I do. We talk about somebody having a heavy heart, a joyful heart, whatever. All right? It's the way I feel. And then my heart determines why I act the way that I do. Guard your heart. For it's the wellspring of life. All the issues of life flow out of your heart. Okay? So your heart is the real you. Can we say that together? My heart is the real me. So where's your heart tonight? What what, what is your heart when it comes to ministry? What cranks your chain? What gets your heart moving? What, What increases your pulse rate a little bit when it comes to ministry? Where's your heart? Physiologically, each of us has a unique heartbeat. Do you know that? Each person has a slightly different pattern, like we all have different fingerprints. Likewise, God has given each of us a unique emotional heartbeat that races when we encounter activities, subjects, or circumstances that interest us. We instinctively feel deeply about some things and not about others. Okay? This God-given motivation serves as an internal guidance system for our lives. It determines what your interests are, what will bring you the most satisfaction and fulfillment. It also motivates you to pursue certain activities and subjects and environments. I've told you this story over and over. I'll, I'll just briefly say it again. I never heard a voice tell me to preach. I never had a cloud formation in the sky. I never had some big, heavy dream. My heart, once I came to the Lord and gave, and gave my heart to Christ, 
And when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, my heart began to burn. I I began to be consumed with a passion, a God-given passion. Listen, inescapable, irrefutable, undeniable passion that didn't come from me because I I naturally had stage fright. I was the last person you would anoint and appoint to get up in front of people and talk. Seriously, I was terrified of any three or more people. I didn't talk. So what does God do? Hey, you're going to preach. So, but how did it happen? He touched my heart. And whenever I would hear about preaching or teaching or whenever I'd be, I would just be in a meeting watching somebody teach or preach and my heart would just be on fire. I longed to do what they were doing. I could not get away from it until finally I was begging God. To open the door. And then once the door opened, I was begging God to shut it. <laughs> oh, don't make me do it, Lord. It'll fall flat. I'll fail. It'll be terrible. But he kicked me. He literally, I was kicked into ministry. Amen. Seriously, Thank get out there. I was kicked into ministry. But once the fire got on me and I got over the stage fright, oh my Lord, Katie, bar the door. I wanted to preach all the time. Amen. Now, So watch your heart. Watch your heart. Listen to me tonight. Watch your heart. What grabs your heart? As we read these various options, what grabs your heart? Why has God given each person a unique heartbeat? Here's why. Revelation 17, 17, God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. Wow. God had a purpose in giving you your inborn interests. In fact, your emotional heartbeat reveals a very important key to understanding God's design and intention for your life. The Bible makes very clear that your heart was designed by God. But you make the choice to use it for good or evil, for selfish purposes or for service. For instance, you can have selfish ambition in your heart. That's James 3.14. I'm always thinking about these professional singers, these incredibly gifted singers or actors who, who are just bringing in kajillions of dollars and, and their gift just reaches the entire world. And, you know, you, you listen to a Celine Dion. Where did that voice come from? It came from God. But see, is Celine using it for the glory of God? Or is she using, I don't know. I don't know Celine Dion. I'd like to meet her. Hey, first time I ever heard her, I just turned on the TV. There's this woman singing and it just blew me away. I said, who is that? Such an incredible gift. But when she goes to heaven or when she enters eternity and God says, what'd you do with that incredible gift I gave you? If it was only used for her and her glory, But if she used it for the glory of the Lord, she gets a reward. Selfish ambition. Or you can serve the Lord with all your heart. 1 Samuel 12, 20. Ephesians 6, 6, do the will of God from where? Your heart. Now, how can I do God's will and serve God's purpose? By letting my heartbeat motivate me for ministry. It says in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 3, 1, it is quite true to say that a man who sets his heart on become a church leader, 
has a laudable ambition. So that's just an example. So again, how do I do God's will and serve God's purpose? By letting my heart be whatever he fashioned my heart to do. Motivate me for the ministry I serve in. It's a heart thing. So let's take a spiritual EKG. If you're like most people, you've never taken time to sort out and identify the things you're good at and motivated to accomplish. As a result, it's unlikely you use these talents as completely or effectively as you could. The key to understanding your heartbeat is to look at your past accomplishments. What have you done in the past when left to yourself and your own interest and your own motivation, what'd you do? Now, the, the next exercise is adapted from the book, Finding a Job You Can Love, by Ralph Matson and Arthur Miller. And we recommend you read that book. Now, step one, listen and describe your accomplishments since childhood. And here's a couple, I'm not going to read them all, a couple of examples. I put on plays for the neighborhood kids, with costumes, props, etc., we transformed the shed and back of our house into a fairyland with lighting effects, decorations, and princesses. In other words, you, you had a gift for that kind of thing. That's where your heart went. It's what God naturally gave you. I like this one. I ran for president of everything. And I sometimes won when I was in school. That reveals something God put in your heart because he made your heart. How about this one? This was me. I set a goal to read 15 books over the summer, and I did. That was me. I did that kind of thing. So that revealed that God made me naturally studious. He did. And ask me if I need that for pastoral ministry. Because I can't get up here every week and just tell you Jesus loves you, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Go have a great day. i got to get up and say something. And if you're going to say something, you've got to study but he wired me to research and study. Yeah. I'm going to blow your mind with something. Sometimes it's very restful for me to research. Amen. I'm always studying. When I go on vacation, I, I hate to say it, but I end up studying. <laughs> it's just my makeup. So, so that's just some examples. Now, here's what you include, your accomplishments at home things you enjoyed doing, things you believe you did well, mark that one. Give specific details about what you did. Forget what other people think about it. Don't, don't care what other people think about it. So remember, you're recalling things you enjoyed and doing and did well, not simply pleasant experiences. A bad example, we had a great vacation in Canada. That's not what we're talking about. A good example, I took some great photos during my vacation. That reveals something about your heart. And your gift. You don't have to cover every year of your life. Just focus on what you feel are highlights of things you've done. Now notice at the bottom of the page, we're giving you a chance to do this. Because we want you to see what your gift is. So my highlights of things I did well and enjoyed doing during my grade school years. Don't do it now, but please go home and fill some of this out. Okay? So you start out in your, in your grade school years, then as a teenager on the next page, then college or early 20s, then college or early 30s, complete up to right now. What are you looking for? You're looking for things you enjoyed doing and did well. 
That reveals what God gave you. Step two, discover the motivated direction of your heart. Examine your achievements for a common motivation thread. You might find a key phrase repeated. See if you can match one of the heartbeats listed below as examples. Remember, these are all God-given motivations. Everybody say with me here tonight, God made me. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, not evolved, made. All right? So, you have God-given motivations. They are only sinful when you use them selfishly. Every one of these can be used in effective ministry. Don't be embarrassed to identify a basic heartbeat that doesn't seem very spiritual. Almost every one of these can be identified in the ministry of one of the 12 apostles. I'm going to name them quickly. I'm not going to read what comes after them. Design or development. Pioneering. Organizing. Operate or maintain. I love to maintain things. Serving or helping. Acquiring or possessing. Excelling. I love to be the best and make my team the best. That's me. I'm an exceller. Anybody that knows me, they'll tell you. I'm an exceller. In college, I didn't make many B's. I made all A's. Because that's just me. Influence. That's me too. I want to be an influencer for Jesus. I love to convert people to my way of thinking. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty much. Now, performing. There's people who love to perform. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that if you do it to the glory of God. Improving. I love to make things better. Repair. I love fixing things. Leading, being in charge. I like to lead the way. Persevere. I like to see things through to the end. Follow the rules. I love to operate by policies and procedures. Right over here, Miss Valerie again. Now, prevail. I love to fight for what is right and oppose what is wrong. How many of you say, that's me? All right. So, see, God put that there. See, that's what we want you to see here. Now, you should be able to support your choice with examples from your achievements. I'm going to give one example. I feel the basic motivation God put into my heart is to acquire and possess. My history demonstrates this. I got my first car at 16. I've collected rare stamps. I've built up a large cash reserve. I've acquired options on three properties. I am an acquirer. I have many acquisitions. Frankly, that one is my sister, one of my three sisters. She was the first one to get a car of all of us. She's a multimillionaire today. She, um, yeah, huge cash reserve. They have several properties. She's always had an ability, whatever she put her hand to, business-wise, it just exploded. And that's my sister. Okay? Did you find the basic motivational direction of your heart in this list? Write it on your personal profile. Then you've got to apply. Everybody say apply. Your abilities. There are different abilities to do what? Perform service. I, God, have given him 
skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. Notice how God looked at a craftsman and said, I gave him those abilities. I gave him those skills. One of the most common excuses people give for not getting involved in ministry is, I just don't have any abilities to offer. I'm a one-gift person. I'm just going to bury it. Listen, nothing can be further from the truth. The key is matching your abilities with the right ministry. Let me give you five misconceptions about abilities quickly. Myth. Number one, people aren't born with skills. All skills must be learned by experience. That's not true. You're born with it. Amen. Two, second myth. Those skills must be learned, or, or which must be learned, are learned primarily in a classroom. That's usually not true. It's learned in the classroom of life. Amen. Third myth. If you have certain abilities, you will be very aware that you have them. No, that's not true. Most people don't know the gifts God gave them. Fourth myth. Skills that I use at work are only usable in that environment. Not true. You can use them in ministry. Hopefully by the end of this class, you'll see the fallacy of that idea. Be creative. Fifth myth. Most people only have very few abilities. And that's why some of you never come out of the woodwork. Because you think your gifts are so nominal, nobody's going to care. But listen to this stat. The truth is that many national studies have proven the average person possesses five to seven hundred skills. Everybody say, I'm gifted. Now, I'm going to let you read page 79 because we need to move along here. Uh, please read it, How to Discover Your Motivated Abilities. Uh, it's just a lot, 26, a list of 26 specialized abilities. Please read it. Now, get your pen in your hand, and I want you to write in the box on page 80, write your name with your writing hand in the top box, and then write your name with your non-writing hand in the bottom box. Just do it real quickly. Write your name. If you're a right-handed, write your name with your, in the top box. Now try it with your left hand in the bottom box. Now how many of you can say, I'm so glad my writing looks better than the bottom box? It's a very simple illustration to show. When you try to do something that wasn't natural to you, you felt uncomfortable, it took extra time, and you did a lousy job at it. If you move in your gifting, listen carefully to me. This isn't in these notes. I wish I'd done it. But listen to this. If you move in your gifting, you will get maximum results with minimum effort. If you move out of your gift, you will get minimum results with maximum effort. The reason I have so many people around me helping build this church it's because I know what my primary gift is and I want to be free to do it because that's what's going to bring the most results. So I have people around me who have their gift and when they move in it, they get maximum results. The same things are true when you try to minister in areas that are not suited to your personality. Now let's drop down to the bottom page of the page here. Although there are many fine personality assessments available for the purpose of your ministry profile, we want you to consider just five things. How do you see yourself? First, extroverted or introverted? Are you a three, two, or a one 
extrovert, or are you a one, two, or a three introvert? What are you? For some of you, it took all you could do to come here and get around a crowd. You're a number three introvert. How about routine and variety? Some of you love routine. You love structure. Others of you hate it. You go crazy without variety. Third, are you a feeler or are you a thinker? You're primarily one of the two. Are you an extreme feeler or are you an extreme thinker? How about self-controlled or self-expressive? Which is you? Are you really kind of a canned, locked-up individual? Or are you, you know, there's people talk like this. They can't even, they can't keep their arms still. They're expressive. I mean, they're moving all the time. Right? Is that you? How about cooperative or competitive? You just go with the flow or you compete. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm competitive. I am competitive. I've tried to crucify it, and it won't go away. I'm competitive. You get me on the racquetball court, tennis court, with another brother in Christ, I forget all about them being a brother. I'm there to whoop them, and when we're all done, we'll just say, hey, I love you, brother. That's me. I'm just telling you. All right. Now, examining our experiences, we need to move along. Painful or otherwise... Your experiences will tell you a lot about what God's got his hand on you to do. The promise is all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers, what lot, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And how many of you know Paul had a lot of pain? But he said, what has happened to me, even the pain, has advanced the gospel. One of the most overlooked factors in determining the ministry God has for me is my past experience, particularly the painful ones. Since our greatest life messages come out of our weaknesses, not our strengths. Can I read that again? Our greatest life messages come out of our weaknesses, not our strengths. We should pay close attention to what we've learned in the school of hard knocks. Most of us in here tonight, truth be known, are suffering on some level or another from residue from past mistakes. God wants to take those mistakes and redeem them so that they become tools for ministry. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, God wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. Why does he do this? So when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them that same help and comfort that God has given to us. Now let's go to the next page real quickly, page 82, and I'm going to get ready to write quickly because I'm going to fill these in and we're done. All right, this is a sort of a recap. Salvation in Jesus Christ automatically includes a call to ministry. This is what we believe about ministry. Every believer is created, saved, called, gifted, authorized, and commanded to minister. Ministry is the heart of the Christian life. That's Matthew 28, 19. You need to fix that. Matthew 28, 19 is the verse. Ministry is the heart of the Christian life. Function follows form in ministry. How God made me determines what he intends for me to do. 
God has uniquely shaped each individual for a specific ministry. God has given all his children gifts that can be developed and used in ministry. Everyone is a 10 in some area. Everyone has something to offer, period. Developing and using your gifts is an act of good stewardship and worship. You discover your gifts through ministry instead of discovering your ministry by identifying your gifts. What you get out when you get out there and you try things, when you see that one thing that God puts his hand on and you see fruitfulness and fulfillment, the evidence of the right match between my shape and my ministry is I will see fruitfulness and fulfillment. I see results on the outside and I feel fulfilled on the inside. You always feel blessed when you move in what God fashioned you to do. God intends for ministry, this is about the body of Christ. God intends for ministry to be performed through the context of the local church. Membership includes a commitment to ministry. The Holy Spirit has provided our church body with all the spiritually gifted people needed to do everything he wants done. Our task is to discover, enlist, train, and support these people to ministry. So the church is to operate on the basis of spiritual gifts rather than elected offices. We do not elect people to ministries. We don't vote in pastors. We don't vote in positions at all. The church is a body, not a business, an organism, not an organization. Therefore, we streamline the structure in order to maximize ministry and minimize maintenance. We do not bury ministries under endless procedures. Yes, we have structure, but so that we can flow in the spirit most efficiently. The mobilization of every member as a minister is the key to growth of the church. The greater good of the whole body must always take priority over the needs of any single ministry. There is no place for turfism in God's family. That's my turf. Get out of my chair. I sit there every week. What are you doing there? There's no place for turfism. Some of you think your name's on your chair. I've seen fights almost break out. People walk in, look, what are you doing in my chair? All right. Turfism. There's no room for it. Now the role of pastors. The objective of Turning Point Church is to mobilize and maximize an army of ministers who are maximizing their unique gifts, hearts, abilities, personality, and experiences in a meaningful place of service through our church. Now let's talk about accountability. Everything rises or falls on leadership. No ministry can exceed the commitment of those leading it. Whenever somebody comes to me and says, I wish we had a ministry for this, that, or the other, I say, give me the leader, we'll have the ministry. Because nothing's going to happen without the leader. God raises up a leader. You've got to have a leader. Or it's just not going to happen. And the leader will always have a passion for it. About training. Every leader is a learner. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Can we read that together? The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Don't ever tell yourself, I've arrived, I got my degree now, I don't need to learn anymore. 
Today, I started a brand new series through the book of Revelation through Dallas Theological Seminary. Free. So I'm, I, I've taught Revelation, but I'm going to go through a Dallas Theological Seminary because I never quit learning. Amen. Okay? Next page, we're almost done. Ministries have life cycles. Amen. Amen. If a ministry isn't meeting a need anymore, we kill it. We give it a decent burial. There's no sacred cows. Oh, my. You have no idea how many churches are just, all that is there is sacred cows dead on the ground. Nobody will remove them. Nobody will kill them and do away with them because my daddy did that, my granddaddy did that, and his great-granddaddy did that, and it's always been in this church, and we will never let go of that. But if it's already dead, put it out of its misery and get it out of there. Most ministries require a one-year commitment, but we allow people to change ministries gracefully without guilt. Your primary ministry commitment should be in the area where you are gifted. Your secondary ministry needs to be where you are needed. Gifted and needed. Now, finally, performance. We expect excellence in ministry, not perfection. Excellence is doing your best, and that's all God expects, your best. I've got to read this next one, and then we're done, because it's so good. We encourage creativity and innovation in ministry, which assumes... Everybody say the word mistakes. Now, I want you to say with me, it's okay to make a mistake. Amen? Because if you're not making any mistakes, you're not doing anything. Okay? We are creative and innovative in ministry, so we're going to make mistakes. No mistakes means you're not growing. So we don't have failures in ministry. We only have experiments that didn't work. A failed project does not mean a failed person. Oh, I could just, man, I I could preach that this Sunday. There are no wrong people, only right people in the wrong ministry. All right, grab this. And all I'm going to do is show you the, the seven top headers. And I want you to take this. You, you might already be able to fill this out tonight. But notice on this, on the inside, in the big black bold, you see the seven major categories where all of our ministries fall under. Worship services, retail, connection team, prayer ministry, creative team, and graphics. Now, you do notice the legend at the top, the brown circle, membership, red circle, music evaluation, the blue circle, background, the green circle, specialized class. Look, for instance, at prayer ministry on the right-hand side. See prayer ministry? Now, do you see healing room where there's a green circle and a brown circle? What that means is it's specialized, and the brown circle means you have to be a church member to minister in the healing room. But now drop down and see prayer shawl, the last category under prayer ministry. There's no brown circle. You don't have to be a church member to be in the prayer shawl ministry. So pay attention to the legend. Now, folks, 
I don't care what your gift is. You ought to be able to find yourself somewhere in here. 